Will life ever get back to normal? If so, will there be an NFL football season? And if there is, will my favorite team be any good? Today, we talk about those questions on the Fat Man's Guide podcast. Chapter 12, NFL Draft Review with Thomas Frank Carr. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Before we get things going, uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Please, as always, like, subscribe, and share. If you get a chance, please go to iTunes and write a review. And as always, I'd love to beg for five stars. Today's guest is Thomas Frank Carr. He's been on before. He is an analyst for Pro Football Focus and is a sports director at ESPN Radio in State College, Pennsylvania. And he's also a sports writer for Blue White Illustrated and a contributing author to numerous other football publications. Um, today's kind of a football show. Um, had a number of people at, kind of ask about uh, potentially getting some information on their local teams. And uh, we're going to talk about the NFL draft, some moves that were made within the NFL, and of course we're going to talk about the drafts uh, and maybe the direction forward for many of the local favorites in the Browns, Steelers, and Bills. Without further ado, here's Thomas Frank Carr. All right, guys, so uh, we're back with uh, Thomas Frank Carr, and uh, really appreciate him being back on. You guys uh, got to see him in my first interview, and uh, we had just had the draft, and Obviously, I mean, uh, I can talk football uh, just about any day with anyone. It's a lot more fun when I can talk football with someone who really understands the game. So, you know, any opportunity I have to talk TF, that would be awesome. So, uh, thanks for being back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a ton of fun last time, so I'm glad to do it again. Yeah, and, and he, I think you were saying before uh, we started that uh, um, your, your nephew uh, got to hear you on my first podcast interview, and now you're a big celebrity. Yeah, so my, my nephew Carson, uh, afterwards, I get a text from my sister, and he's like, well, Carson wants to talk football. I saw you on Jim Penley's podcast. So uh, you are a celebrity, by the way. Oh, my god! And I got some major points with my nephew, so this only works out. Like, there's only positives. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, if, uh, as, as long as we could all become as famous as uh, we are viewed in Carson's eyes, <laughs> man, oh, man, I'll tell you what, we, we have got life by the tail. Yeah. Um, so – uh, today I figured I'd talk about the draft and um, obviously I had a week ago kind of let I, I wanted to do it right afterwards but then I had a really cool interview last week and and I also thought that for a lot of people that understand that the draft is just like this first little piece like there's the draft and then there's the fallout which yeah. is people getting cut and people potentially getting traded to me that a lot of times that that's the more fascinating thing because as someone who's been in the game and, and gotten a chance to coach in college, play in college, like a lot of people understand, like, um, you know, as a high school coach, a kid becomes a starter and it's like, well, I'm going to be this starter forever. And not realizing that when you get to the next levels, they're always looking to replace you. And, uh, you know, when I became a college ball player, that was something I saw real fast that mm-hmm. loyalty is, does not exist. Um, it is what's the best way for me as a coach to potentially win more games. And if there's a guy who's been busting his tail and working hard for me for four years, you very easily can get replaced by a freshman. And uh, obviously you see that at Penn state all the time. That's what's made Franklin's program. So competitive is every year he's bringing in these kids that are more and more talent. Uh, and it's the same thing with the NFL. So I'm gonna, before we get into the three local um, teams that everyone seems to love around here, I, I'm going to ask you, what, what, in your opinion, is going on in Green Bay? 
Because like, clearly that was a major question for everyone with that draft pick. And some of the other draft picks, does it seem like they were drafting for depth at, with, with picks that you would ordinarily be looking for some starting stuff? So well, what do you think is going on there? So uh, one of my 1,500 jobs is I, I cover the 49ers for PFF. I'm their social media correspondent, so I run their Twitter account. Uh, part of what happened in Green Bay, apparently, is they got pantsed so bad by the 49ers twice last year, including the NFC Championship game. And Matt LaFleur is of the Shanahan coaching tree, Kyle and his dad, mm -hmm. um, that they just want to be the 49ers now. So they go out, they get Jordan Love. They're trying to secure their quarterback of the future. And I'll reserve judgment on whether he is or not. He's not my favorite, but I can understand why you might like that guy. Um, but the 49ers de-emphasize the receivers to a certain degree. You don't need a number one. You don't need a guy who's going to be a Julio Jones. Uh, and they emphasize the running game. So the Packers are simply trying to be the 49ers. They even said, like, Joseph DeGora, the guy out of Cincinnati that they got, they said he's our Kyle Juszczyk. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not a great plan because as much as Matt LaFleur probably believes in himself and his system and the outside zone running, the thing that's always made it successful are the Shanahan's are literally the father and son have made that so successful. Gary Kubiak has always had a little bit of success here and there as a head coach, but it's never really gone to the Super Bowl unless there's been a Shanahan there. So mm -hmm. if you're trying to just be the Walmart version, the great value version of the 49ers, which are going to get is less points per game. And they spent their whole draft focusing on the running game when what they desperately need is to build around Aaron Rodgers, obviously. I mean, he's got Devontae Adams and then a bunch of guys that I remember that were okay at Indiana and Purdue at receiver. And that's not a great winning strategy when you have potentially one of the most physically talented quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. And, and you know, um, it's, it's kind of tough, too, when you start talking about running game. It's funny you talk about outside zone, inside zone. I was, I was really blessed over 20 years ago um, when I first got into college. Um, uh, what we ran, we ran a lot of inside, outside zone. And my college mm -hmm. coach, uh, Scott Browning, who I'm sure is not listening to this, but if he is, hey, Coach, you know, coach Browning, uh, word to you. But, uh, but Coach Browning, his, his brother was offensive coordinator at the University of Minnesota, back when they had that uh, that uh, Maloney kick, uh, running back, they had the two running backs who were thousand yard guys every year. Maroney, went yeah, to Maroney. the Patriots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, he he was coached his his offensive line coach for the line that was he was running behind was was Scott's brother, and so we had an opportunity to learn the inside outside zone from Alex Gibbs, who was the oh, guy wow. who was the guy in Denver for the Shanahan's who developed that whole you know inside outside mm -hmm. offense, and I and like as a coach. I love it. Yeah. But it is really difficult to make work, especially if you don't have all the right pieces. And I'm not just talking about like the running backs, although as a running back, it's a very particular style of running, but that offensive line, like that's why all those years when they ran it, they were always, you did it with offensive lines that were smaller, you know, yep. that were more athletic. athletic. Exactly. And yep. so, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to, to play single white female to another program, you know, where you're like, well, we want to be, we want to be what they are. Well, people forgot there was a number of years of overhaul and really bad football because yeah. they were trying to build it to what they are. Um, and so, I mean, obviously if, if that's kind of green Bay's plan, you know, I, I hope it works, but you're right. You have such a given in Aaron Rodgers that it seems you don't, you don't want to go wasting that. And, and I, I don't know, it seemed a little confusing to me, obviously, I mean, they're the guys there, and, and they know a lot more football than I do. 
But the one uh, thing I would say is that, um, again, when we saw Kyle Shanahan run his system, Matt Ryan has had good success throughout his career. His best years were in this system. Mm -hmm. And the whole point, as you know, of the outside zone system is that every play looks the same. Inside zone looks like outside zone. Outside zone play action looks like an outside zone run. Everything looks like a run. And then you make play action and big plays outside of that. But it, it is there's a lot of these guys that are now kind of filtering in the NFL. Sean McVay came from um, uh, Washington under the Shanahan's yeah. and Zach Taylor came from that. There's a lot of these that are now having, I think, marginal success, maybe. I mean, you, you saw what happened with Shanahan, or I'm sorry, with McVay in LA over the last three years, that it seems to be the secret sauce isn't just that, it's a bunch of stuff. Well, and you know what, not to go old school football, but it's kind of like running the wing tee. If you're going to run the wing tee, you have to sell out the wing tee. Like you will do every single step perfectly and exactly the same. Otherwise it'll never work to the, yeah. to the level that you think. And you can't just kind of, we're going to do some inside outside zone. Nola, you have to sell it. Like everything's got to be perfect. You know, every play action pass, every bootleg, everything is based off of the exact same look across the line. Um, so m- kind of moving with that, um, uh, another team I wanted to talk about was uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, this is more of the fallout. So right. uh, Cincinnati gets top pick. They take the guy we figured he'd take. Um, they get rid of, uh, and I'm forgetting his name, Red Rifle there. Uh, Andy uh, Dalton. Yeah, Andy Dalton. And, uh, and then he signs with, with, um, with Dallas. And, and uh, this goes out to, to one of my friends there, Chad. He, he, I don't think he asked me to ask this question, but I know he's interested because he's, he's one of those freaks who likes Dallas. Uh, he's a Bills fan. I don't like him. But um, it, it, what is Dallas doing? Because it seems to me they're putting a lot of money into these big players on offense, and I'm wondering if they'll ever play defense again. What, what do you think the <laughs> thought behind? What do you think the thought behind um, uh, adding a quarterback who's an established starter, and some people probably assume would go to a team and be a starter as your backup? Uh, Andy Dalton is a really good backup to have, and, and I've seen a lot of comparison to Ryan Tannehill. I think that's a little bit of an insult to Andy Dalton, honestly, because Andy Dalton mm-hmm. has started for his whole career. And, and, and he's been a winning quarterback where Tannehill didn't do jack squat till last year. Right, right. Um, I, I think for Andy Dalton, I, I know he's from Texas, so there's a, probably a draw there as well. Um, but I think the problem is the, the NFL knows what Andy Dalton is. He is a – I mean, there was a joke going around the league that he is the Mendoza line for quarterbacks. He is average. He is right here. So uh, if you are Dallas and there's some uncertainty at your quarterback situation, I think if you look not just at the raw numbers, but you look at some of the advanced numbers, those two, Dak Prescott and Andy Dalton, over their career are roughly in the same area. Now, Dak is younger. Dak is more valuable. Dak should be paid. But if Dak is asking for $40 million a year, I'm sorry, he's not worth $40 million a year. So if you have any situation where he gets hurt, or um, you don't come to an agreement, he holds out. I think Andy Dalton is a perfect insurance plan because we've seen at his best, Andy Dalton um, is made better by the parts around him. When you have A.J. Green and Mohamed Sanu and you have a good running game, uh, he was good in those situations and they have one of the better offenses in the league. So bolstering that I think is a good idea. I mean, I think every team would have been happy to have Andy Dalton as a backup as long as it was at that number that you can afford. Sure, yeah. um, so I thought I thought it was a good move. Uh, as far as the defense goes, uh, you paid Zeke, and that was dumb. 
And they're reaping the reward of that, that they lost Byron Jones and they lost a couple of good players. But they've been having some pretty good drafts. Uh, I, I don't have on top of my head all of their picks, but they got Trevon Diggs in the second round, who was a borderline first-round talent. They got, uh, I think, Neville Gallimore was the defensive tackle in the third round. So they've got, like, they have – Jerry Jones, for a decade of being bad at this, all of a sudden knows what he's doing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I... – you kind of hope that if, if you can get enough of those younger guys who can offset all that money. I mean, obviously, if you, if you bring in Dalton, he definitely has the parts around him if it's in Dallas. If he has to play, he has the parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the you know, and, and I mean, obviously, Cincinnati's offensive line for the last couple of years has been uh, has been really bad. Historically so, bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's um, it's it's kind of it's kind of tough. It's, it's tough to be successful as a quarterback um, if you're not going to have a line. I mean, I just. I don't care how good you are, yeah. um, but uh, you'd be like Peyton Manning and you're still getting stem cells in the back of your head. So, um, but, but like I said, with them, obviously, if they can get some people on defense, um, that's, that's the biggest thing I always look at them is they got all this talent, but yet you're getting scored on left and right. You get a lead, people come back and beat you. Um, and, and I saw where they lost a couple guys, but hopefully some of the younger guys they bring in can be helpful. So um so now getting to kind of the three local teams that people around here kind of talk about, um, and I'm going to stay in the same order. How, how did you think the Cleveland Browns did on the draft? And how do you think that uh, that sets them up for whatever we end up doing in this offseason? I always like the Browns draft. I mean, I think they do a good job of getting talent in the building. It's just, can you get the talent to work together? Jedrick Wills played right tackle at Alabama, so there's a bit of a projection. But he was one of the most athletic players at that position in this draft. So if you want to move a guy over to the left side because they just got uh, Jack Conklin to come over from Tennessee to play right tackle, now they have a solid offensive line. They've got the two bookends, and maybe there's some rough patches with him at left tackle, but it's immeasurably better than it was a year before. And Baker Mayfield's weaknesses are all in that area of trying to do too much, trying to hold on to the ball. And when he's constantly under pressure, you know, that rattled him and he didn't respond well. That to me is the biggest problem of Baker Mayfield didn't respond well to that pressure, not so much as uh, the kind of product that came out at the end with the offense. They go back and they get Jordan Elliott, who was one of my favorite defensive tackles in the draft, I think in the third round. And Grant Delpit was a great safety. So they have built a really solid coverage unit. They have three out of four positions on their defensive line. They have really fast attacking defensive linemen. Miles Garrett's going to come back, and I no pun intended about attacking defensive linemen. But uh, we're going to find out if Baker Mayfield is what a lot of people think he is, and a lot of people are going to be proven right if he isn't, because they have a very, very good roster. It's young. It's talented. It's time that Kevin Stefanski comes in, and it all goes together. Because at this point, there are no more excuses. They have the talent. You can't Browns forever. You can't be the Browns forever. At a certain point, you have to rise above your stereotype narrative. And if you're going to do that, you have a number one quarterback. You have very good receivers, running backs, tight ends, depth everywhere. It's go time. Yeah, and, and obviously it'll be huge for, um, for Baker Mayfield because – third year i mean that's where they're at now isn't it are we third year fourth year what are we in? yeah third, this third, will be year. The third year yeah yep. so in third year you start trying you start making assessments of where these guys truly are at and because obviously that fourth year is key because whether or not you're going to especially for quarterbacks are you going to extend that fifth year option 
yep. you know what I mean? And uh, if you're not proven, I mean, if you're proven, you're one of those guys and you get that early contract, that's awesome. That's what he's playing for this year. Because if you yeah. don't, they go into year four going, I'm going to wait. And we're going to see and we're going to decide whether or not we're going to – well, basically what they did to the Jameis Winston um, yeah. down in Tampa Bay. I mean, yeah, this, he got all kinds of talent. Hell, yeah, he could throw 30 touchdowns a year. He could throw 30 picks. Um, He's and, the, can I just – one quick rant about, ahead, uh, about Jameis Winston. Decision-making as a quarterback is a full-time job. And mm -hmm. if I know more about your personal life in the offseason, mm -hmm. about stealing crab legs and Uber rides yeah. and – stupid stuff you did in college if i know all of those stories and all your decision making in those moments is terrible what's gonna make what makes me think that your decision making on the field is gonna be any better yeah like i've always looked at him gone i understand like i usually don't care about personal stuff but when i see a clear pattern of bad decisions and then i see a clear pattern of bad decisions on the field at a certain point you can only ignore that for so long yeah and it's it's tough too because you know i totally dig what you're saying because i want to say this is like on every level of life, you know, because I want to say, you know, even with high school kids and college kids, I mean, you know, I, I won't go into a couple stories, but when I was coaching in college, I remember coming in the first day of camp one year and we sit down to coaches meeting at 630 and like, well, and we, they're talking about one of our best ball players on our team, young guy, sophomore. Well, he got into a fight last night at the, at the bar um, in, in town there. And, and all of a sudden it's like, how's that he's supposed to be at the door? Well, long story short this is how things happen he, yeah. he only ended up lasting another year I mean he was a division one talent at a division two school but decision making is huge and um and as much as I want to believe that then I always go back to the Lawrence Taylors of the world that's like yeah he made every poor decision possible and he's still the greatest ball player that was during his generation so yeah. at least if you're if you're gonna have poor decision making it's got to be hey I make really poor decisions but I'm gonna win games yeah. And if you're yeah. going to do that, I mean, that's, that's like what the whole 1970s Oakland Raiders, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't say you got to be perfect, but man, I'll tell you what. Yeah. It's, it's kind of tough with, with Jameis Winston to feel, feel too bad about all that. So moving from the Browns, um, how about the Steelers? So, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I probably look more at the Browns and the Bills than I did the Steelers as far as drafts went. Uh, up until I saw a report yesterday, someone was saying Aaron Rodgers maybe gets sent to uh Pittsburgh which I just can't even remotely imagine so how 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 does uh how, how did their draft go and where do you think that lays them out now first first off if we're in the Aaron Rodgers is being traded to Pittsburgh part of the year June came too early clearly uh -huh. because uh oh it's gonna get bad by the middle of July the Steelers I didn't like their draft uh I was not a huge fan of Chase Claypool I get what's there I get that he's 6'4 I get that he's 230 plus 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 and he moves well but what, again, Kevin Colbert, when they're chasing needs, I feel like that's when they make their Artie Burns, Bud Dupree, Jarvis Jones mistakes is we're going to get a height, weight, speed guy, and we're going to teach him how to play football. And that rarely works. I mean, you know, as a coach, every day we talk about decision-making. Part of your decision-making is the habits that you build over time. You don't do that in uh, an off-season, especially a virtual off-season right now. So Chase Claypool, as much as he is – talented and i understand that i could be wrong about him but everything i saw on film is there's not a lot of talent as a receiver there a question mark about his position whether he's a tight end or a receiver i i just i really didn't like that pick um and then they come back in the second round and they get the highsmith kid i, I think he's got the twitch and the burst off the off the uh, edge he's a good project at that at that outside linebacker position again i liked curtis weaver a lot i think that would have been a better pick but if you're looking for 
you know, traits and you want that in, in the uh, third round, that's not a bad call. Um, but really in the fourth round, Anthony McFarland is what really bothers me is because you went into this draft saying we needed a pass catching running back instead of we need talent. You're filling holes and you think your roster is good enough that after you address X, Y, and Z, now we need to get in the fourth round a pass-catching, situational running back. Uh, ask the Philadelphia Eagles if they have enough corners or receivers, and they take one every year. You can't ignore positions of strength. You can't ignore positions and go for a need in the draft, especially a guy that I don't think is even that good. Anthony McFarland is not going to come in and be Christian McCaffrey. He's a situational player that you're going to have touch the ball in sub-packages eight times a game, maybe? Like, you can still find talent in the fourth round. Kayvon Wallace went to Philadelphia a couple picks later, and he's going to be a full-time starter that they think is going to replace Malcolm Jenkins. Now, again, maybe he doesn't, but he's got the skill set to do it. He's got the talent to be a starter. You drafted, I want to say, a backup in the fourth round. That is just bad process. That is filling holes in our roster because we've got to make this run under Big Ben. That is not long-term health. That is not long-term uh, roster building. That is, we want to win in the next two years, and we think this is going to help us. And I just don't, I don't see that. I don't well, like it. I don't see it. Well, and especially, especially like you said, if if you if you have a team that that really is not where you fit, and maybe that's the problem is they don't realize it. I'd like to think that they do. I mean, I mean, the Steelers historically have been a phenomenal franchise that makes pretty dark good decisions. But yeah. I mean, I also know that. When was the last time that they held on to a player like they are with Big Ben? I mean, go back. Yeah. I mean, go back. I mean, Franco Harris got shipped off for Pete's sakes. You know, I mean, you look at all of those guys that they are willing. Nope, we're not going too far. Pittsburgh was always great for that. Like, they yeah. were not emotional about the business, you know, yeah. where it was like, look, when a guy got too old, he's gone. I mean, it could be any of those guys from all those great teams. And we're. it, it almost feels like you're looking at Big Ben going, gotta hold on to him you know we can't do we can't just and especially like you said with running back I mean I hate to I hate to down any position especially as a coach because again like in high school running back is god that's key important for me yeah. um but but you know in the NFL you look at all the running backs who are just taken off the street you know that I mean you can find two or New England New England's the best example they just cycle guys through there some of them are cast off some of them were working at the deli two weeks ago and all of a sudden they're catching two or three passes scoring a touchdown and then they pay them next to nothing which I mean sucks if you're a running back but it is the market yeah. value I mean you're not a left tackle you're not a quarterback you're not a tall receiver who can run and make you know separation um I mean, you're a running back um, now some of those guys get paid clearly like they do, but you know, nowadays, generally speaking, when you pay a running back, you're setting yourself up. How and, many I mean, of those guys, how many of those contracts have people liked? Like after they give the big contract to the running back, how many times has that worked out? Wow. Even Adrian Peterson, if you look, if you look back <laughs> yeah. and I'm, I'm just talking about in the last eight years or so, Adrian Peterson, I remember got a $50 million deal from the Vikings. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a quarterback, but they paid Adrian Peterson. And uh, he's not the reason they fell apart, but he's also not the reason they were going to the playoffs. It's just the nature of the position. I, I like to look at it as dependent and independent positions because mm -hmm. football, obviously you depend on everybody, every play, but who has the most autonomy in football, offensive linemen, and to a certain degree receivers who can just get open, right? So they can just yeah. beat their guy. Uh, quarterbacks have as much autonomy as you can 
with a offensive line. So like it, they can obviously get pressure, but the quarterback can get rid of the ball quickly. So they're all interconnected, but the least uh, yep. independent position is running back because if you don't have a hole, if the offensive line is terrible, you can't go anywhere. You literally are at the mercy of the quarterback, the play caller, and the offensive line. Yep. So absolutely. what are you supposed to do? Well, you know, at the end of the day, what people are going to say, you know, most recently is the Jets. I mean, you can get LeVon Bell, but if your line sucks, you're not going to have a hole. And if they can put, you know, 12, 13 guys in the box because your quarterback is not completing anything, yep. you've got – I mean, I don't yep. care how good you are. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just not going to happen. And it's not, it's not the 1960s and 70s where you're going to hand the running back 35, 40 times a game. He's going to average, you know, 3.9 and run for, you know, uh, 180 yards every single game and think you're going to survive that. You're just not. And especially today with the way pe people and coaches, you know, I always talk about the difference between high school coaching now, high school coaching even 20 years ago when I first started. The amount of stuff that we break down on a weekly basis we know exactly where your weaknesses are. We know yep. exactly what you're trying to do. And on the NFL college level, I mean, I remember being, I learned this in college. The first thing you do as a GA is you learn how to sit there and break down film for 40 hours a week. I mean, mm -hmm. that's all we do. We break down every little tiny thing. All of a sudden, you, you know what these people are eating for breakfast. You know, there's, mm -hmm. no, there's no doubts and you can take advantage of it. And uh, yeah. Un unfortunately, yeah, I mean, not to, we went off into a big tangent on running backs. I feel bad for him as a running back. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of tough if you're going to make those type of choices. Let's get a couple more things and that way we can get you, get you going. Um, Buffalo bills, obviously the first round draft pick, uh, was a wide receiver. Um, and I think we talked about last time was probably a great idea to trade instead of getting that. Cause you got a known quantity. You yeah. don't know who you're getting and you don't know when you're going to get a chance to see them or really mm -hmm. train them up because of everything that's going on with this COVID stuff. So by getting an established guy who has, I would argue has something to prove because he was kind of a second fiddle in a lot of ways uh, with what was going on in Minnesota. At least that was my kind of view. So I think that coming in, he's going to be hey Josh, give me the ball. I'm going to make you look really good. But how did the rest of their draft go? They got really lucky that AJ Epinesa fell to them. Yeah. He is exactly the type of player that, Sean McDermott likes for his scheme and going back to Carolina he's never had the speed rusher Jerry Hughes he inherited and if you inherit a good player you learn how to use that guy but they've always been that big body power guy on the edge they don't like the quick small guys they want run stuffing run first and while I disagree a little bit with that I think that you know pass rushing is premium because um, you can stop the run to a certain degree with numbers if you want to uh, Epinesa has enough juice off the edge uh, he's he's physical. He's got great hands. That was exactly what they needed to have happen, and it happened. Zach Moss, uh, you know, again, we just had a long conversation about running backs, so when you take a running back as your second pick, I'm like, eh, I, I get he was, from a, from a running back perspective, the best way you can provide value is do more than the offense is giving you, and that's break tackles. That's make people miss, and he does that at a level that is only matched by Devin Singletary, his current teammate. So they're really well set in the backfield. Good mix of skills there. I don't think running back two is a need, but it's a good pick. Uh, you, he's a good it, player. And to kind of stop you there, though, because I, I don't want to forget before I get there, do you feel, and I know I was talking to someone else about this, do you feel that the Bills roster has gotten to a point where they're doing what Pittsburgh thinks they're yes. doing? 
Yes. Even though Pittsburgh doesn't realize they can't afford to do it. Yes, you know, we're, for, for, for years, the Bills have been trying to fill holes. But right now, when you really kind of look at their, their depth chart, they have the luxury, like a couple other teams do, to go, who's this guy that we can add that's going to give us that change of pace that might break open a game? Do you, do you feel that's where Buffalo is and maybe why they did that pick? Yes, and and I and again I would caution against ever doing that because uh, and and this is the thing is Brandon Bean is a very smart general manager. I've listened to him enough. He's seen enough of what he's done that he's a smart GM. But everyone's got a little bit of renegade in them. Sure. And and I as much as I like a lot of his decisions, there are some that I that I'm not on board with. Um, but he still picks good players in those situations for the most part. We'll still, we're going to see about some of the, you know, the big ones we covered last time. Um, they picked a kicker in the, in the sixth round. I thought that was weird. So yeah. that's, again, we're going to – I can look at it two ways. They got A.J. Epinesa, yes, but then they filled up their backup running back, their backup quarterback, and their backup kicker in this draft. So how good do I feel about that? Not so much. Now, the players they got, I really like Jake Fromm. Um, the kicker – I, I've never gone from as happy as I was then to as disappointed with the next pick as I have in a while, probably since like CJ Spiller or something like that. Yeah, but kicker uh, punter is never going to be a sexy pick. I mean, no one's going to go, yeah! I mean, they're not, they're not going to do that. You've got Steven Hauschka, and I, I, I understand that he is not the biggest leg in the world, but he's accurate. And yeah, he's consistent. Like, there's like three kickers ever that were like the guy. And after that, they're just a bunch of guys. I... I don't know what makes a good kicker in the NFL, and I don't think the NFL does either. That's why picking one, like I think in the second round, uh, I think it was um, Aguaye from Florida State a couple years ago. Team took him in like in the fourth or second round. Mm -hmm. it, it is so much like golf that I, I don't think you can know really from a physical, tangible perspective who's a good kicker and who isn't. So uh, I like the receivers. I think that was really good. Getting those big depth receivers – who have the potential to be a guy that breaks out. This is where, this is where Green Bay, go back to Green Bay. They have a bunch of these guys, big, physical, you know, good in a straight line, have a, a little bit of a wiggle to them. They've got a lot of those guys on the roster. But if you're waiting for one of those guys to break out and that's your plan A, you are screwed. But the mm -hmm. Bills now have two of those guys on the roster that have high upside, good special teams players to start with. What else can they provide after that? I, I, you know, I think those are great moves. I think Jake Fromm bolstering that second position when, and I know Bills fans are going to hate this, you don't know that Josh Allen's going to get any better. You don't know that he's going to progress. So getting a smart, accurate quarterback as a backup who, yeah, he might have the strongest arm in the world. And I might, again, I might be wrong about what Jake Fromm is or isn't, but nobody knows. And to take a flyer on a guy like that in the fifth round who has all of those basic building blocks that are, that, that make a great quarterback from decision-making to accuracy. Uh, I think that's a great move. And whether or not you got it by accident, I don't care at this point. Um, so overall, I thought the Bills had a good draft. Yeah, and, and you know, the thing too is, is um, uh, you know, I, I always kind of look at this as, as a high school coach is, um, you know, Josh Allen's going to run. He's going to move. He's going to be physical. He's going to – because he is, he is a really good competitor in my view. I think he's a really yeah. good competitor. Yeah, he's going to get banged up. He's going to get hurt here or there. And you don't want things. Now, I know everyone's going to say, well, you know, you got Matt Barkley. Well, that's great. But like you said, from for as long as he has been in college, has been one of these top tier type talents, not necessarily a physical talent, 
Mm -hmm. Even when he was younger, I mean, he started as a freshman uh, because of a couple situations. Boom, he came in because he picks up the game. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think uh, I, I listened to someone else talk about backup quarterbacks. The most important thing about a backup quarterback is not the ability of what they can do on a Sunday. It's the other six days. It's mm -hmm. what they do to prepare the quarterback and what they do to prepare for that ugly situation. They know when they come in, they're the relief pitcher. Like, right. I don't get to come in and t I, I got to be – I got to be prepared mentally to come in and throw a pass play one. Yeah. And, and if you can find a guy like that in the fifth round, I mean, that's Tom Brady type stuff. Yeah. You know, with a guy that has no, don't, don't have the NFL physical tools, but is a, you know, is a Supreme competitor who's very bright about the game and everyone forgets for all the yards Tom Brady threw his first couple of years, he didn't put up big yardage. He right. was in there to be a smart, intelligent game manager who turned into a freak show. And I'm not saying that's what Jake Fromm's going to be. But he also can be potential trade uh, uh, material yep. in three or four years if he has to play in a couple of games or he has some really good preseasons. I mean, you look at the guys that they've now traded from a place like New England where they've gotten quality draft picks back that they could then use and turn into something good. And I think mm -hmm. if you've got a chance to have that type of kid, I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't necessarily try. Um, so uh, finishing it up here, let's talk about Penn State. So uh, what about the guys they got out, obviously? Uh, how, how do you think uh, they did? And uh, do you think any, any of those guys are set up in really good situations? KJ Hamler, I think right off the bat, is the guy that's in the best situation because I was a little worried he was going to go to a situation where he was going to be the guy from the draft. And I think there's a very specific avenue for success for him. And that is in that Deshaun Jackson sort of role of the deep threat. I don't know if he's physical enough. I don't know if he is uh, well-rounded enough to be the Tyree Kills sort of guy that you can gadget his, into the offense right away. The fact that they have Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton on the outsides, uh, who do you cover now? Because Cortland Sutton has enough speed. He's a deep threat. KJ Hamler as a slot threat in college football was one of the best at that position. Mm -hmm. of, you've got to cover – he got two guys. Think about this. They – the, the defense covered two guys with four players most of the time. Pat Fryermuth and K.J. Hamler got double covered in the slot most of the time. Uh, and Hamler, he's, he's not a great hands catcher. That makes me a little nervous about him. But he approaches the ball, I think, well. You know, I think he, he isn't the worst at adjusting to it in flight. Um, there's just limitations to his game. He went into a situation with a quarterback that is good with the deep ball. I think he can have a immediate success, even if he's not the guy. Um, outside of that, I, I just like John Reed. I think John Reed has the tools to be a really good slot inside outside sort of guy. I'm not in love with the Texans and pretty much anything they do. So outside, I think Bill O'Brien's a great play caller. And I think as an offensive coordinator, he's shown at every, every place that he's gone that he is genuinely one of the better offensive minds in football. That does not make you a GM. That does not make you a head coach. That makes you a really good offensive coordinator who can call plays. And, uh, and, I, and you know what? You, you, you mentioned that. And, again, just from, from my standpoint as a coach, you know, I've, I've gone to a lot of clinics over the years, and I've talked to a lot of coaches. And I always say this about I, – I, I'm like you. I kind of look at what he's doing. I'm like, oh, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Again, he's, he's the professional. But I'm going to say from my own personal perspective, of all the coaches I have ever met, uh, when he was down at Penn State, he was, in my opinion, he's, he's very brash with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, because he's not, he's not a BS guy. Like, he just he doesn't. But I'll say this as a coach, that in the time that he was down there, 
he was, if you come over to him with a question, Coach O'Brien, I want to talk to you about this, X's and O's. Oh, dude, he will talk to you about X's and O's, man. Like, he is a super um, talkable guy and decent person to communicate mm-hmm. with. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just getting, I met Joe Paterno. I've talked to Coach Franklin. You know, I, I mean, I've gotten to talk to these guys. No disrespect to them. because You know, I, like I said, I'm like a Penn State fan. And Joe Paterno actually – I know this won't be popular with some people. He made me want to like Penn State just in the couple conversations I've gotten to have with him, which were very, very short because I'm just nobody and he's mm. God of the universe back then. But like Bill O'Brien as a football guy, X's yeah. and O's. If you wanted to sit down and have X's and O's, that guy would X and O with anyone. He yeah. was the most pleasant and cordial person to coaches, real people who don't not BS in about talk x's and o's that i mean i agree with you like as an offensive coordinator as a guy who's who's looking at the game of football i think he's unbelievably intelligent that makes you wonder why texas hasn't made the strides that you would have thought they make but again like you said it might be more poor decision making from a front office standpoint but yeah um any of the other guys from penn state real quick before we let you go um you know i I just i Yitor Gross Matos is obviously the other guy who had, uh, you know, first round hype. I thought he was a second round pick. Physically, he's good. Um, I just never saw it as far as the intangibles. I don't think he's got a lot of burst off the line. He's going to be a really good pro. He's going to be a solid pro, run stopper. And again, in Carolina, it seems like that's what they're building is like that physical tough front. So he'll play well there. And I think because he's not a first round pick, he won't be a disappointment, but I don't think he's ever going to be a franchise pass rusher. He's the number two guy that you want to have on your team that goes against, you know, the select matchup and is a really good pass rusher in compliments to your franchise guy. So sure. I, I think it'd be good. Um, that's why I mentioned the other two there. I think the other two guys have a chance to break out and be really good at their positions. He's just going to be a, a you know, a, a B plus a minus sort of guy. He's never going to be that, that a or a plus guy that you look back and go, Okay, wow, he was so good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I tell you what, man, I think we're up against the end of this. Um, I appreciate you being on, as always. Uh, that was super awesome. I think there was some really insightful stuff there. Talk about a couple of the teams, especially the local teams. Uh, again, I'm, I'm going to be pumped to get you on. And uh, uh, hopefully, you know, obviously we're going to be seeing shortly how all this COVID-19 stuff goes on, whether or not people are going to be able to do summer workouts what we're going to have in the fall. I was talking to one of my, my students who's going to be graduating uh, and asked her if Penn State had decided whether or not they were even going to be on campus in the fall. She said something like June 15th. Yep. Uh, they're going to inform yep. people what's going on. Because um, I know already, you know, uh, we, we, we did a virtual online campus tour for my daughter. It's not quite the same as walking around. I'm trying to explain to her what it's like walking around Penn State. And uh, uh, like I said, it's, it, it's making it tough for everyone, obviously yeah. not to take away from the situation, but you know, things can be complicated. So um, like I said, hopefully we'll get you back on again and uh, make this a little, you know, consistent like we were talking about and just be able to come on here, talk about football. And uh, as we get into the fall, hopefully we'll have football and we can do that some more. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks. Awesome, man. Thanks for being on. We'll talk to you later. See ya. Yep. Well guys, thanks for being here. And Thomas Frank, as always, thanks for being a guest. Again, please like, subscribe, and share on the podcast. Uh, Leave some comments. Give me some direction on uh, what you might want on an episode. That's why I did this one again. Some people wanted to have some uh, questions asked, and uh, I figured what the hey, I'll give the people what they want. So leave a comment. And again, uh, check us out on uh, any of your uh, podcast providers. 
Um, and of course, you can always find me on Podbean where I base this. Until next time, be safe and live life to the fullest without excuses, even in crazy times like these. See ya.